0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Locked Hope Radio. Enter the zone. The Prophecy Zone. Your end-time watchman. Bringing you light in a dark world. Where truth is rivaled with a lie and the matrix is normal life. Luke 21 And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory and when these things begin to come to pass then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. You are now in the zone. So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days so you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone. The Prophecy Zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy so you'll be informed and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to As the Day Approaches. This is Brenda Johnson and I am coming to you live. We are going to have a great show today talking about Islam, the beast, the crescent and the black stone. Those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Islam and, and Islamic eschatology, this is going to be a fascinating show for you. Have you ever heard of the crescent and the black stone? Have you ever heard of the black stone? Most people uh, do not understand or know what the black stone, didn't even know it existed. Well, how does this all tie into Bible prophecy? Today, we are going to talk about th- these subjects, and we are going to ask, See how it fits into Bible prophecy. Who is the beast of revelation? What is the relationship? What relationship does this have with Islam? And and some people think that um, Rome is going to be the uh, place where the seven hills are. And this is because Rome um, had, has at least seven hills in that area. We are going to talk about Islam, and we're going to see it from the perspective of Islamic eschatology. Whether or not you uh, take hold of what I'm saying, you know, it's debatable, but I want you to get a feel for this and see if when you watch and see the times in which we live, you can see maybe something a little bit different than you've seen before. Now, I personally do not believe that Rome, the city of Rome in Italy, is going to be the place of the Antichrist. I once thought maybe that was a possibility, but as I grow more and more aware of the days in which we live and watch what is happening in the world watch what is uh, going on in uh, the clash of religions, meaning the two greatest religions, Christianity and Islam, I see more and more that this clash is probably going to take us to the end times. And based on that, you know, I I, uh, see so many signs, that are fitting into Islam. Now, I have to be honest with you, before I really started studying Islamic eschatology, I didn't really, you know, uh, think that Islam was a possible uh, religion in which the Antichrist will come through. But the the more and more that I study Islam and eschatology in Islam, I am seeing that this is an is close to what is being said in, in the scriptures. Now I did a show on date setting and um how people have said that this is the time and, and this religion is it, you know, back in the eighties we thought maybe Russia was gonna be the the uh beast of revelation. We've found a lot of things through our history, not only as Christians, but in our particular day. You know, whenever something uh, is going on that is troubling, we tend to attach that to uh, the end times. I believe that this has something a little bit different with it. And I'm hoping that as uh, you... Follow along with me in this study on Islam and eschatology, which I've done several shows on now. That you will kind of have a different perspective, maybe, and that I could share some of the things that I have found. The Beast, the Crescent, and the Black Stone is kind of, is a uh, part two of the Antichrist and Messiah and the Number Six Six Six. So, if you did not listen to my show last week, I strongly recommend that you take a look at this. Now, this is a live call-in show. You're welcome to call in, make comments, ask a question. Uh, phone number is Erica, 347 826 If I don't get to you right away, just hang on. But if you have a question or comment, uh, feel free to ask that during the show. I'm going to start off with reading some scriptures. I want to put them together because I want you to see uh, something about them. Now, after I read these particular passages, uh, some of you who are uh, uh, prophecy-oriented will see these scriptures and know what I'm talking about. But I want to pull out of them uh, something unique, something that goes with what the show is saying. But I want to read it all so that you can kind of see it in context and see it kind of clumped together. Uh, Daniel 7, Revelation 13, and Revelation 17. And I'm going to read through these first. And, and I want you to have your Bible open. I want you to to kind of see from this perspective in the kind of way I'm presenting it here in Islam. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Now, if you understand what sea is, the sea is uh, always a metaphor or a symbol for uh, people, and you'll see that it, it happens in Revelation two. Four great beasts different from the others came out of the sea. Meaning people's nations. The first was like a lion and it had wings uh as an eagle. I watched until it, the wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of the of the human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your seal of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back had four wings like those of, the bir- of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Excuse me, and I I will go through some of these in a little bit. Excuse me. While thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming down from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. It kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting, an everlasting dominion, and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached the one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of this, so he told me, and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever." Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying and its iron teeth and bronze claws the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully as I watched this horn was waging war with the holy people and defeating them until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the most high and the time came when they possessed the kingdom he gave me this explanation the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth it will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour, devour the whole earth trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from from the earlier one. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Dan, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Revelation 13, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Um, the heads of the beast seemed to have one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they all worshipped the beast and asked, "Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it?" The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words of and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and the inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to, to the earth in full view of the people. Because the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to breathe, uh, to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image could speak and cause all those who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark in which was the name of the beast and the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, but the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That is 666 six, six. in this particular passage we talked about in the last show, so I just want to throw it in there for that. Revelation 17, one of the seven angels had the seven bulls and came to me, "'Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits in my many waters.' With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things in the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes. And the Abominations of the Earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's people, the blood of those who bore testimony to to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast. She rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, was now is not, and will yet come out of the abyss and go into its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose name have not been written in the book of life and the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This comes for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast once was, who once was and now is not is the eighth king, he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, And that the capital lamb, that's the lamb with horns, but the lamb will triumph over them because the lord of lords and the king of kings Uh, Because uh, And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw, where the prostitute sits, are people's multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast, the royal authority, until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now, when you put all three of those chapters together, Daniel 7, 13 and 17, you can see a uh, similarity spoken of throughout them. I'm going to give you a different flavor. I'm not going to go through each and every uh, section uh, verse by verse. I really love to do that kind of study. But today I am focusing on on the topics within Islam, the beast, the crescent, and the black stone. I know it's going to seem odd that I'm going to do it this way, but there, there is a method to my madness, as I always say. And I want you to uh, see a different uh, perspective as I present it to you. And just, you know, do your study and be a Berean and go and study and then watch and see what is happening. Now, the four kingdoms that were spoken of, um, the first one is the Greek, the Macedonian region ruled by Cassander. Now, today, Macedonia is a Muslim-majority state. The Thrace, number two of the kingdoms, is the Thracia, or Turkey region, Bulgaria and Turkey today, ruled by Lysimachus and later called the Byzantine Empire. Now, if you think of Rome... As the revival reviving of the old Roman Empire, this is what I think is the old Roman Empire that will be revived as the Byzantine Empire, not that in Italy or the Catholic Church or or Rome itself. It will be the Byzantine part of the Roman Empire that is Muslim today. The third kingdom is the Babylonian Persian region, including southern Russia. Which is Muslim today, Afghanistan, Muslim today, Iran, Muslim today, Syria, Muslim today, Lebanon, Muslim today, Arabia, Muslim today, and all of the coastland of the city of Tyre, Lebanon, which are majority Muslim. The region was known as the Seleucid dynasty. Now, if you look on a map, and I have a map on a uh, some of my shows, when I'm talking about the Persian Empire, you will see certain maps of Persia, you will see the the Empire of Greece, you will see the the Babylonian Empire, Mm, pretty much, but the Persian Empire, and now you'll see the Islamic Empire, and also in Ezekiel 38, where it's the nations that are going to be coming against Israel, are all in the same exact area. Today, they're all Muslim. And today we see that in our news, uh, in in the news today we see uh, the the kind of the playing out of what the scripture is saying, where all will attack Israel and come against her. Well, not all, but all the surrounding nations, which are all Muslim today. Now, the fourth kingdom, the whole of Egypt, which is which in prophecy includes Libya and the Nubians, and they are also Muslims today. This, the Antichrist, comes from the Grecian Empire and most likely Asian minor and not Syria. Uh, that it comes from the north it is again confirmed in Daniel 8, 9. So we know that everything in prophecy focuses on Israel. So Israel is the focal point. So if you think of the king of the north that is going to come down, it is going to be coming down you know, you have to look north. A lot of people think it's Russia, way up high, but it's, its I think it's closer. Turkey, the Byzantine Empire, the place where the Caliphate was destroyed. Now, out of them, and this is what I am saying in uh, Revelation and Daniel, out of these four kingdoms, out of all of this, the beasts, and the last one especially, out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. We're not going to ca- calculate who that is today because calculating exactly who the Antichrist is and who the who who he is going to be is not something uh, we know today exactly who he is. He has not been revealed yet. But the Ten Horns, I'm gonna show you something, and this uh you can find out more information in uh why I left Jahad by Waley Shabbat. He has some information, but he is not the only one that has information on this. A lot of people who are doing uh talking about Islamic eschatology are actually uh leading this direction now. Uh the Ten Horns, the one, the Egyptian Empire, which was one horn. Two, the Babylonian Empire, which was one horn. Three, the Assyrian Empire, which was one horn. Four, the Persian Empire, which was one horn. Five, the Greek Empire, which was four horns. Remember, it was divided into four parts. Six, the Roman Empire, one horn. And seven, the Ottoman Empire and that was one horn. Now, when you put all those horns together, you add those up in those empires, which, you know, the Antichrist is coming through the dominion of empires uh, through the ages, you have ten horns. So, that's a different perspective on what the ten horns is. Not necessarily ten horns that are ten nations that are existing together right this moment, but it, it is a a accumulation of history where you see these empires, and Daniel does explain this in the gold statue that these are historical empires and not necessarily just localized uh countries in a period of time exact time, so we can pretty much think that this these empires um in the horns is probably in the same line as that. Now, in Revelation 17:18, the woman you saw is is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Um, we're not really going to discuss that today, but but I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Chapter 19, 2 speaks of a Babylon as a real city that will be will be judged judged by God and destroyed. Now, using common tools of biblical interpretation, we, we see that Babylon is indeed the seat of power for the final empire of the Antichrist. Now, in Revelation 17:9, it says that the woman sits on seven hills, or mountains. Many interpreters believe the city is Rome, which, you know, famous for its seven hills, and this is why. They think that is that they ha- that Rome has seven hills in its territory, but if you really study it, it has more than seven hills. The Greek word "epi," which translates as "on," can just as legitimately be translated as "near." Given this alternate reading, and surrounded by seven hills, Mecca qualifies for for this as well. So have you ever thought of Mecca, the heart of Islam, being maybe this great city? Possibly, I think, um, I did a show on the city of Babylon actually rising up out of uh, the ground. Now, a lot of people may not think that is possible unless you look at Qatar and see how that's raising up out of the sea. And also, how um bible prophecy said that the jews will return to their land and nobody could imagine them actually returning to their their land uh, as a nation because it had been since the time of christ that they actually had a nation in of israel so you can imagine that you know people couldn't imagine that prophecy really being something to be fulfilled too so I'm not too concerned about whether or not it can happen. Uh, I'm more concerned that what the scripture says, and <clears throat> there is evidence that um, Babylon not, was not destroyed. The city of Babylon was not destroyed, as um, as they once said. Now, why am I mentioning Mecca? Well, what is mystery Babylon? Is that possible? to Mecca. I'm just throwing that out. I'm not necessarily saying that, that this is what I believe, but this is what, what a lot of people are starting to think who are studying about Islam. And and so I want to draw your attention to Mecca and I want you to make your own decisions about what you think about it. And maybe you just think a little bit more about it than you've ever thought of before after we get done with our our talk today. Also, um uh, <clears throat> Let's see. Ancient Babylon did have seven, you know, artificial hills within its walls. And Constantinople, often called the Second Rome, also had seven hills within its boundaries. And Mecca in Saudi Arabia is a city of seven hills. And these, you know, I'm not going to read the names. You can get the names. Maybe I said uh, Abu Siba, Safa, Mahawah. Anyway, look up Google because I can't even say these words, uh, the seven hills or, or mounts in Mecca. So hey, you know, Babylon had seven hills within its wall there though they're artificial. Constantinople had um seven hills within its boundaries, and Mecca has seven hills or mounts within its place too. So could be a variety of places. Um <clears throat> There is more than one candidate. Uh, Revelation 17.9 is not speaking of literal mountains necessarily. So we want to take that into consideration when we try to think of where the seven hills are. Now, the the, the scripture says, Here is a mind which has wisdom. The seven hills... Are seven mountains on which the women sit there, are also seven kings. The seven mountains are used symbolically to represent seven kings. It is the same in the Greek text. Now, what does this have to do with the crescent? Why in the world would I talk about the crescent? You know, the crescent is the symbol of Islam. They have the crescent and the star. And, and that is on everything. So, that is their symbol that represents who they stand for? Like for a Christian, we have the cross um, that you know it symbolizes the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Islam has as their sign a crescent and a star. Well, what is this crescent? Where did it come from? Now, I contend, and that that this is an old Babylonian religion that this crescent and its star comes from. I wish I would have put on the pictures that you see as, you know, I'm talking on the show. Um I wish I would have found this picture in order to put it up there, but maybe I'll put it on my website um as the day approaches.com. Uh but in it, I'll see if I can describe it, it is a either in a man or a woman dressed in Arab clothes. And on uh, under its foot, uh, under his right foot specifically, is uh, the cross and the Ten Commandments. Under his left foot, which he is stand kind of standing, bending his leg and standing on it, is the world. This picture shows Arabian or uh, you know Persian man is holding a crescent moon, which means in Arabic hilal. Or halal, with his left hand and stepping on the globe with his left foot. Also, the person is holding a sword with his right hand and stepping on the cross and the tables, uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments with the right foot. Also, it means the Christians, it means the Christians should be defeated or killed by the sword, and the world shall be controlled by the moon goddess. The crescent is an old symbol. A Babylonian symbol, a Babel symbol, and that, that meant the moon goddess, al-halal. Islamic art depicting the Quran and the crescent moon is very common. And you can just Google that. You'll see the crescent moon with everything. Now, is Allah the moon god? Is it is and who is this moon god? Well, let me let me introduce you to him. The moon worship has been practiced in Arabia since the since 2000 BC. The crescent moon is the most common symbol of this pagan moon worship as far back as 2000 BC. In Mecca, there was a god named Hubble, Hubal, H U B A L if you're saying it wrong, who was Lord of the Kaaba. And they spell this in this particular uh, section, K-A-B-A-H. I've also seen it spelled K-A-A-B-A-H. This Hubble was a moon moon god. One Muslim apologist confessed that the idol of the moon god, Hubble, was placed upon the roof of a Kaaba, about 400 years before Muhammad. This may, in fact, be the origin of why the crescent moon is on top of every minaret at the Kaaba today and the central symbol of Islam atop of every mosque throughout the world. About 400 years before the birth of Muhammad, one Amr bin Lahyol, a descendant of Qatan and King Hajaz, had put an old idol called Habul on, on the roof of the Kaaba. This was one of the chief deities of the Karash before Islam. The moon god was also referred to as Al-Ilah. This is not a proper name for this single specific god, but a generic reference meaning the god. Each local pagan Arab tribe would refer to their own local tribal pagan goddess, al ilah al ilah was later shortened to Allah before Muhammad began promoting his new religion in 610 AD. Now, there is evidence that the Habal was referred to as Allah. When Muhammad came along, he dropped all references to the name Hubal, but retained the generic Allah. Muhammad retained almost all the pagan rituals of the Arabs at the Kaaba, And then you, you, you're probably saying, what in the world is the Kaaba?" But you know what, I'm going to show you what that is. And redefine them in a monotheistic In monotheistic terms, now regardless of the the specifics of the facts, it is clear that Islam is derived from paganism that once worshipped a moon god. Although Islam is today a monotheistic religion, its roots are in paganism. What what is quite certain is that that the pagan Arabs in Mecca worshipped a moon god called Haval at the Kaaba. Habul was the Lord of the Kaaba, being the highest-ranking god of the 360 gods worshipped in, in the Kaaba. Now, here is a, in a, is an amazing thing. Allah was also worshipped as the Lord of the Kaaba. Yet, Allah was never presented by any represented by any idol of physical nature. To suggest the polytheistic Arabs never created an idol to represent Allah is simply unreasonable and unbelievable. We suggest, rather, that Habal was who the pagan Arabs addressed their prayers to Allah through. In other words, Allah was Habal, Muhammad came along and smashed the idol of Habal, and now the Arabs had no idol of Allah to pray through anymore, and Habal was forgotten. There are stories in the Surah of pagan meccan praying to Allah while standing beside the image of Hubble. We suggest that Arabs stood beside Hubble and prayed to him, referring to him as Allah. And I'm getting this piece off of a uh, uh, it's called Bible, C-A-Islam, Islam, moon god. Um, called the Hubble and the Allah of the moon god. The region of pre-Islamic Arabs, uh, the life of the pre-Islamic Arabs, especially the Hajjaj, depended on trade, and they made a trade of their religion as well. About 400 years before the birth of Muhammad, one Amir bin Lahyo bin Harath bin Am- Amr al-Qayyaf bin Salba bin Adzi bin Qalan bin Abilin Bin Saba, a descendant of Qatan, the king of Hizaz, had put an idol called the Habal on the roof of the Kaaba. This was one of the chief deities of the Kharash before Islam. It is said that there were together 360 idols in and about the Kaaba, and that each tribe, each of the tribes had its own deity. Now, the shapes and figures of the idols were also made according to the fancy of the worshippers. Thus, Wad was shaped like a man, now they're like a woman, so is Su Sua Yahud was made in the shape of a lion. Yak was a horse, and Nazir was a vulture Besides Hubal. There was another idol called Shams placed on the roof of the Kaba. The blood of the sacrificial lamb uh, animals brought by the pilgrims was offered to the deities in the Kaba, and sometimes even human beings were sacrificed uh. And offered to the god. Besides idol worship, there was also worship. They also worshiped the stars, the sun, and the moon. Now, among the gods worshipped in the Karesh, the greatest was Hubble. This was one of the expert testimony of Imad Kabi. The Quresh had several idols in and around the Kaaba. So they would. Um, let's see. They would. There was, they stand in front, inside the Kaaba, and in front of it were seven divinatory arrows. And one of these was written in the word pure, and the other associated with alien. So they did a lot of things at the Kaaba. Now, you might not even know what the Kaaba is because that wasn't even part of my title, but there's, the Kaaba is a very important piece of what I'm trying to talk about. And that's why I keep repeating this over and over. Um, Hang on a second There is evidence in the Quran that they talked about the moon No, there is also evidence that they You know, the Quran also at places says Let's not worship the moon Or you're not supposed to worship the moon But there is also places that say Do worship the moon The Quran contains a chapter which is named The moon the Moon in Arabic is Kamar. If the Quran prohibits worshiping the moon, why the chapter in it called the moon Now this is what the passage reads, and it might be a little bit confusing so um but the Quran is extremely confusing if you if you've ever tried to read the Quran, it is very hard to understand, and uh the true Islam says it you get the understanding reading it in Arabic and not in um, a translated language. Well, it was extremely difficult to get it in a translated language as well, as some people have said, even in Arabic. Now, this particular passage in the Quran is 51. 54.1, 54, one, and it says, The hour drew nigh, and the mood did rend asunder. And if they see a miracle, they turn aside and say, "Transient magic. And they call it a lie and follow their low desires, and every affair has its appointed term. And certainly some narratives have come to them wherein it's prevention, consummate wisdom, but warnings do not avail. So turn your back on them for the day when the inviter shall invite them to a hard task, their eyes cast down going forth from their graves as they were scattered locusts, hastening to the inviter, the unbeliever shall say, this is a hard day. Now, me reading this probably didn't help any of you whatsoever, understanding whether or not they were giving uh, worship to the moon. But, it was in the first verse, The hour drew nigh, and the moon did render asunder. So the moon gave to them something they requested. So they actually prayed to the moon. Now, the moon god was part of the idols and worship of Canaan. In the 1950s, a major temple to the moon god was excavated at Hazor in Palestine, Two idols of the moon god were found. Each was a substitute of a man sitting upon a throne with a crescent moon carved into his chest. The accompanying inscriptions make it clear that these were idols of the moon god below. And the worship tablet found at the same site shows arms outstretched toward the moon god, here represented by the full moon with the crescent moon. Several smaller statues were also found which were identified by their inscriptions as the daughters of the moon god. So this uh, in archaeology says that the moon god was represented by the crescent. Um, And the way that they were holding their arms is the same way that Islam holds their arms today in worship of Allah. Now, What does the crescent say in Isaiah? Hold on a second. I have somebody at my door. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. I had somebody knock at my door, and guess who was at my door? I had Jehovah's Witnesses at my door. And yeah, they love me. Uh, for those of you who do not know me very well, I talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have uh, come to my door for eight years, but I kind of sent them away. No, okay, I'm taking a breather of this Islam, but I sent them away. Um, a few months ago, but they come back and visit me from time to time. So they were at my door, so that's why I had the interruption. So excuse the interruption, that was kind of fun to have it. They actually were the ones coming to my door. Okay, now, the crescent um, is mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Uh, The prophets gave the Antichrist names. Um now, I mean the crescent or the moon, you know the different gods the the names were gog now hang in him, hang in there with me um the the gog, the Assyrian, the antichrist, the son of perdition, Lucifer, and more uh <clears throat> uh in isaiah fourteen twelve the Halal ben Sahar. Hilal also means the brightness and in Aramaic Arabic it means crescent moon. Satan is also an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11:14. Studying these two words, Hilal and Shahar, we find one, Hilal or halal, morning star have toss- of, possible links with the Akkadian alatur, or Ishtar and the Arabic Hilal new moon. You've got to listen to this very carefully because the new moon at the end of Ramadan is all about the moon and the new moon. And at the end of that time, it's the, the, the birthing of the Quran was during the new moon. Okay, hang on to that. The worship of the moon is also attested to by proper names of people such as Halal, a crescent, Komar. Okay, moon. Okay, my dogs are barking again. I have four dogs, by the way. Um, One actually has a home and the other three are in our home. So excuse that. Okay. Um, Hillel means the shining one in Hebrew and Arabic. And in, in Ethiopian it means moon crescent. He is a moon god. So one of the names of Lucifer was the moon god or the moon crescent. To Shahara or Shahar is Hebrew for dawn of the morning star. The two combined make up his symbol crescent moon and star, and as described later in chapter 13, the Quran mentioned the rising of the dawn in a night called the night vision. We have sent it to thee in the night vision. What do you know of this night vision? The night vision is better than a thousand months. The angelic host is sent to earth in it with the spirit by command of their Lord. Peace shall be until the rising of the dawn, the morning star. The morning dawn and crescent moon are important symbols to Muslims everywhere. When terrorists from over 40 organizations assembled in Tehran they gave the name of the summit 10 days of dawn. Now, these are in comparison to what the Bible describes, Lucifer. The italicized words could very well have come out of scripture regarding Satan, dawn, the spirit, their Lord, cast out of heaven and the fallen angels. Now, I have got this from somewhere, but I can't remember where. If I got it right off of this site about the moon god or... Can't remember now, still. So, <clears throat> these verses refer to Ramadan when Muslims fast, when the crescent moon appears with Venus, the morning star, which is the symbol of Satan, as written in Isaiah. Muslims wait until the late hours of the night, gazing at the sky, waiting to see the sky open and the angelic host descend. And if you know Ramadan, they have to fast all day. And then when it becomes night, they can eat. And they can celebrate their eating. As a Muslim, uh, now, Walid Shabbat, before he was converted, before he became a Christian, he said he would go up on the roof with his family during the during a night vision and gaze at the sky and wait for this heavenly sight. Now, another reference to God of is God of Islam, as one who brings evil, is in Surah 113. And that says, say, I seek refuge refuge in the Lord of daybreak from the evil of what he has created and from the evil of the night when it comes on and from the evil of the witches who blow upon knots and from the evil of envious, envious when he envies. Here he is, the Lord of daybreak. Or the Lord, or the morning, or the sun of the morning. Now, the, we- the most well known Islamic song, which came from Islam's founder, is called Aha al Badir. Um, and it says, Oh, you, this is what it means, Oh, you who were raised among us in Muhammad. Now, this is the song. And I'm not going to try to read the Arabic, but it has the Arabic um, next to it. And this, I'll read it in English. I'm not trying it in, in Arabic. It says, Oh, the white glowing moon rose over us from the valley of Wada, and we owe it to show gratefulness where the call is to Allah. O oh, you who were raised amongst us, coming with a work to be obeyed. You have brought to this city nobleness. Welcome, best call, to Allah's. Revelation 17 presents a snapshot of the entire Babylonian influence and of human sin stretching over time to encompass the empire of Daniel with their false religions, Islam's crescent moon, in reality, stems from Babylonia, modern-day Iraq. In 217 AD, Emperor Karakala was killed after he was returning from visiting the temple of the moon god in Haran, Iraq. Does that sound familiar? In 363 AD, Emperor Julian paid his respects to the temple of Sin, the moon god, in fact, was the most-worshipped god in Roman times. It is reasonable to connect the Roman Empire's religious worship from Babylon to Islam, which adopted this symbol. The moon god at Haran was described by the doctrine of Adai, Jacob, or Sarug, and others. Now, in uh, some of the books, you will see... um, well, some of the his- hist- you know if you go online, you'll see some of the depictions of archaeology and um here in these pictures, there is a you will see a crescent moon on a high place you know you'll see the same kind of crescent that you'll see on the minarets now, the picture that I have displayed in you know in this radio show has that particular crescent, the same shape as it was in worshiping the moon god. Now the Roman emperor worshipped the moon god at Heron, um, and there is uh, on the coins uh, in the in Roman times they have the same moon with the star in it, um, and then you'll see also a depiction, like I said earlier, of uh, idols that are actually um, or people that are actually. Putting out their hands to worship the moon god in the same position or of the hands of Islam. Islam is simply a revival of the Babylonian religion. The moon god with the crescent moon and star symbol originated in Babylon, which is now, in, you know, which is in Iraq, and was one of the 360 idols in the Kaaba. You heard that a little bit earlier when I was talking about the Kaba. Before Muhammad destroyed them. In Babylon, the moon god was called Sin. Interesting. And it's spelled just like it sounds. Sin. C. Canton Thompson's book, The Tombs of the Moon Temple of Ha*. I don't know how to say that. It's H-U-R-E-I-D-A-H or H-A. Discusses... The uncovering of a temple of the moon god in southern Arabia. The symbols of the crescent moon, and no are no less than 21. There are no less than 21 inscriptions with the name Sin were found in this temple. An idol, which may be the moon god himself, was also discovered. The Arabic word for god is La, L L A H, and the moon god became synonymous with Allah, meaning the god. Pagan Arabia believed that the moon god was the greatest of all the gods, hence the phrase Allah Akbar, meaning Allah is greater. So you're familiar with Allah Akbar, meaning Allah is greater. Allah is the greatest god within the idols of the 360 idols in Saudi Arabia, in the Kaaba. This is what led Muhammad to go one step further and proclaim in the Quran that la ilaha illa Allah there is no god but Allah inscriptions of Allah have been found on an idol with the crescent moon and star symbols the pagan arabs used Allah in name to, in the name, to name their children for example muhammad's father was called abdullah meaning servant of Allah The killing of converts was not unusual in pre-Islamic practice in Arabia, just as it is not unusual today. There is a story of Silas the Arab who fell in love with with Salome in Herod's kingdom, but he would not convert at her request for fear of being stoned by his people, the Arabs. Sir Leonard Woolley excavated a temple of the moon god in Ur, Babylon. You remember Ur? His findings are displayed in the British Museum. In the 1950s, a major temple of the moon god was excavated at Hazar in Palestine. Two idols of the moon god were found. Each was a statue of a man sitting upon a throne with a crescent moon carved onto his chest. And we talked about that. Uh, and then they also found some smaller statues with uh, the inscriptions, the Daughters of the Moon God. In Saudi Arabia, the three daughters, Alat, Al-Uzza, and Manat, were depicted together with Allah, the Moon God, represented by a crescent moon above them. The Daughters themselves have the symbol of a star. Even the Quran in Surah 53:19 through 20 mentions them by name. Um Let's see they mention them by name, not uh, uh, mentions them by name, not to mention the abrogated satanic verses which give more weight to the fact that Allah was a moon god. Idols of Alat, Al uzza and Manat were also worshipped in the Kaaba, and lo and behold, Surah fifty three is titled An-Najm, meaning the star. The mystery of Babylon stemmed from Babylon and lived throughout history in every empire in the East. The fall of the mystery Babylon stemmed from Babylon and lived throughout the history. And and the fall of the mystery Babylon is prophesied uh, as prophesied could likely mean the fall of Islam. But I'm not sure whether or not I believe it. But some are saying that now, Doctor Arthur Jeffrey, professor of Islamic and Middle East studies, on the World's most foremost, one of the world's foremost scholars on Islam says that the name Allah and its feminine for, uh, form Alat were well known in pre-Islamic Arabia and were found in inscriptions uncovered in North Africa. It is a proper name applicable only to the peculiar God. He adds Allah is a pre-Islamic name corresponding to the Babylonian God known as Bel. Bel simply means Lord, and this is the title of reverence to the moon god Sin. And the name Sanbalat, the Arab, is a derivative of two words, the Sin moon god and Alat, the feminine of Allah, one of the three daughters. This shows that such names existed way before Muhammad, just as his na- father's name, Abd Allah, meant save, save of Allah, the moon god. <clears throat> the worship of the moon god came from Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon. Babylon, Abraham, is the first to mention it in the account of his journey in Genesis 12.1. Nabonidus elevated the moon god sin to the top of the Babylonian pantheon in an effort to make the Babylonian religion more acceptable to the Arabs and the Aramed. The emblem for the god Sin, the controller of the night, was the crescent moon, which became the primary religious symbol of Islam. The Islamic calendar is based on the lunar cycle and may have revelance to moon god worship. In Arabia, it was known as Habal al-Allah, the god. In Surah 106, the Quran commanded qawas, muhammad's clan to worship the lord of this shrine i.e the Kabana, which can mean only the moon god it is only after this surah was revealed that muhammad came back to destroy the idols in the Kabana and fight the people that refused to accept his statues as, as excuse me, status as prophet there is no mention in the bible of god ordering anyone to erect the shrine in Arabia, so who really is the lord of the shrine? <clears throat> Will the Messiah break the crescent moon or the cross? And one hint is in Psalms 83.11, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb; yea, all their princes of Ziba and all Zalmuna. Now, what in the world does that mean? Who... What happened in the story of Zeb and Zimana? The answer is in Judges 8.21. So we're going to kind of clarify that a little bit. <clears throat> then Zeba and Zemona said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zebah and Zemona and took the crescents that were on their camels' necks. That's, a, that's said that way in the American Standard Version. Gideon is a type, and this is I got out of uh, the uh, Walid Shabbat's uh, Why I Left Jihad. It says, Gideon is a type for, for King Messiah. And instead of Messiah taking away the crosses, as predicted by Islamic prophecy, the opposite was true. All the crescents on the high places, minarets, were taken down, away just as Israel had to remove the Asherah poles from the high places. The word used for crescents in Judges 8:21, shaharan, <clears throat> saharan, which literally means crescent moon, is from the root sahar, and it is used for the name of Satan in Isaiah 14: Hilab and sahar. Yet Islam teaches the opposite. This is what they teach: the final battle will be waged by Muslim faithful coming on the backs of horses carrying black banners. They will stand at the east side of the Jordan River and will wage war that the earth has never seen before. The true Messiah, who is the Islamic Mahdi, will kill the pig and will break the cross and will defeat Europe. Will lead his army of Seljuks. He will preside over the world from Jerusalem because Mecca, because Mecca would have been destroyed. The Seljuk Empire was Turkic. Uh, was Turkic em- em- ent- ent- the Excuse me, that pre- enter, uh, the Turkic Empire that preceded the Ottomans, who arose from the division of the empire. It covered the region of Anatolia, Turkey, northern Iran, Syria, Iraq, southern Caucasus, and Azerbaijan. Many Islamic scholars believe that the Mahdi is the Messiah who leads the army. Amir- army of Turkish Seljuks and that Mecca, the spiritual headquarters of Islam, will be destroyed exactly what the Bible tells for the harlot city. It is incorrect to say that Muhammad was not a prophet. He is just not a prophet sent by God, the God of the Bible. <clears throat> now, the names of Allah, let's let's uh, Let's go there. Now, I pretty much probably went over and over and over about the moon gods, so you're probably convinced uh, by that fact. Um, so uh, let me see if I can... Yeah, I'm going to give you a few names that the Islam has for their god, for Allah. Um, In the scriptures it says, they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon means destroyer and encompasses two of the 99 names for Allah. The 67th name of Allah in the Quran is Al-Mamut, the destroyer, the one who causes death. Amazing, isn't it? The 92nd name of Allah is Al-Dar, the spoiler. Now, in 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 fact, Islamic terrorism today is exactly that, taking what is beautiful and spoiling it. Not only does Muslims jihad destroy lives and shatter families, it aims to destroy great buildings such as what happened with the World Trade Center and other critical state structures to aim the blow where it will hurt. The most, the government and its economy. That's exactly where they want to shoot. Now, in Israel, the name of Allah is invoked by Muslims in in a war cry, and we know this that this has been going on. Allah Akbar, which preceded the murders of innocent Jews in restaurants or on religious holidays, such as Yom, the Yom, Yom Kippur War, which was waged on, on Israel on October sixth, nineteen seventy. Three by Egypt in Syria on the most sacred day of the Jewish calendar, the Day of the Atonement. This is the level of respect Islamicism has for the freedom of religion. Uh, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are yet still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice coming from the four hor- horns of the altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel Angel who had had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great U- river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been spared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they could kill a third of mankind. Now, interesting that the angels are located at the Euphrates River, where a lot of this is taking place. Euphrates is in, is in Babylon. Now, bear in mind that the mystery of Babylon, Islam, with its government, is unleashed at this time. In other words, God will not restrain the Muslims from unleashing war on the world. That is when the killing and destruction will take place. Satan's fall to earth in his last attempt to control the world is described in Isaiah 14. This is the angel of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. This is confirmed in Isaiah 40, 14, 31. Howl, O great gate, cry, O city thou, whole Palestine art dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in disappointed times. Here, the north is confirmed by Isaiah, as well as the smoke, which causes the world world catastrophe. Obviously, this smoke it's, its symbolic of war and destruction caused by the Antichrist. After all, Abaddon, Apollyon in Revelation literally means destroyer, so this purpose, his purpose is destruction. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth or any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Have you ever really thought about that passage before? Now I'm going to see how long my voice holds out. So unless somebody calls in and kind of relieves me, um, I'll keep going uh, for a little bit longer. We'll see how well I do. Um, So, this, it says, do, do not hurt the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. When Yazid was marching with his army to invade Syria, Abu Bakr, Bakar, the first Muslim caliph after Muhammad, charged him with this. Listen to this. Destroy no palm trees, no, nor burn any fields of corn. Cut down no fruit fruit trees, nor do any mischief to cattle, only such as you kill and eat. Now, the locusts attacked idolatrous Christians who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. The tsar worked mainly in those countries where corruption of Christianity prevailed, i.e., the Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches. Verses 7 and 9 describe the tsar Saracens outfits. They were renowned for their horsemanship, obviously. These are the weapons of war unleashed by the Antichrist on the rest of the world that is not saved. It could be that that the ones with the mark of the beast are the ones who will do the task. It was Satan who energized the Muslim hordes, the seventh head of Revelation 1710, which came like locusts from the east and swarmed towards the west. Incidentally, the Hebrew word for locust is Arbe, and in Arabic it is Arbi. Also, the Arabian desert is teeming with locusts because of its climate. Therefore, this is a befitting image. Islam does not permit the destruction of trees or green things. The locusts were not allowed to hurt the grass or green things. The Sarsian Muslim, 1st beast, 7th head, armies were under the orders which, as a type, matched this. So there it's saying, you know, in in some of these works that, The the type between the locusts and what is representative of this army. Okay. So we're not going to go into that any further, um, but you have an idea. Um, I'm kind of looking through my notes here and see what you know I want to go from here, okay, so the history of mecca let's let's focus on that. The foundation of Islam is important for everyone to understand whether one is religious or not, so understanding Mecca is gonna be the heart of Islam. Is going to help you understand Islam itself. Mecca is the historical and geographical uh, epicenter of Islam. All practicing Muslims everywhere in the world prostrate themselves toward the Kaaba. It's in Mecca. Now, do you hear that word Kaaba? The Kaaba is in Mecca. Now, I'm going to give you a, you know picture on the pictures that I have displayed in this uh, radio show, there is a square black box-looking thing. That is the Kaaba. Okay? The Kaaba is, is, remember back in history, housed 360 idols. So they have a Kaaba in the center of Mecca. And this is what, Muslims make a pilgrimage to once in their lifetime. Every Muslim is obliged to travel to Mecca and perform the Islamic rit- ritual of the hajj at least once in their lifetime because it is the fifth pillar of the five pillars. I, we say five pillars plus one. Five pillars plus one is the last one is jihad. Islamic tradition teaches that the Kaaba, around which Islam revolves, is located in the center of the earth and was the first temple on earth. Islamic tradition further holds that it was built by Adam and later rebuilt by Abraham and Ishmael. Mecca is located a thousand kilometers across barren desert, away from the Holy Land. The record of Abraham's journey, as detailed in scripture and confirmed by archaeology, precludes any notion of Abraham, Hagar, or Ishmael ever having been in Mecca. Additionally, they lived almost a thousand years before the first caravan route was ever established along the Red Sea in Arabia. Indeed, Abraham's journey never brought him within. About 1,000 to as, as much as 15 kilometers of Mecca. So that's a farce. So let me tell you a little bit of history about the Kaaba as a place of worship. And this I, I'm getting off a website, the submission.org, uh, Hajj Kaaba, <clears throat> and it's K A B A. Kaaba, also known as you know the Kaaba, which I told you was the an H, um, and it also can be spelled with the C, is the center of the holiest place of worship in Islam, and that um, the sacred mosque of Mecca, Al-Masjid Al-Haram, its name is an Arabic um, is an Arabic word that means a home or a room that looks like a cube. It is a cube-shaped stone structure built in the middle of the sacred mosque. The Kaaba was built by Prophet Abraham as a landmark for the house of God, or this is what they say, for the sole purpose of worshiping God alone. Oh, well, that would be the greatest God of the idols, of the 360 idols of the Allah. So that God, the moon God, above all, was to be worshiped. Alone, Quran says, as Abraham raised the foundations of the shrine together with Ishmael, they prayed, our Lord accept this form from us, you are the hearer, the omniscient. So, they say in the Quran that Abraham actually built this shrine with Ishmael. Hmm, that's really, that's not what the Bible says. Kaba is the center of the circumambulations, uh, circumambulations is a very hard word to say. Uh, and I'll describe that here in just a second. They're performed during the pilgrimage, the Hajj. And it is toward the Kaaba that Muslims face in their prayers. Before Prophet Muhammad's advent, Meccans who lost the religion of Abraham Monotheism worshiped many others before notable, which uh, <clears throat> most notable, which were Alat Azur. And so it was just talking about the same thing we were talking about earlier. The Black Stone, which I haven't even mentioned yet, was something very interesting. It was, um, well, to go into that in a, in a minute, but it is a uh, It's located at one of its outside corners of the Kaaba, on the outside. Now, I have on these pictures, when you see a bunch of guys going after something, trying to touch it or whatever, that is the black stone. It was apparently a meteor that fell down and uh, was a symbol of how the Quran came from heaven. It has been used by pilgrims as a landmark to count the number of circumambulations. You guys are probably laughing at me. Some traditional Muslims, in defiance of their religion, consider the stone holy and put emphasis on touching it and kissing it. The actual structure of the Kaaba has been demolished and rebuilt several times in the course of its history. Around the Kaaba is a restricted area, or a haram, Extending in some directions as far as twelve miles into which only Muslims can en- may enter the Kaaba is located in the city of Mecca in the Arabian desert in the Arabian Peninsula of what is known as Saudi Arabia um, The history of the black stone the blackstone it is um it is known as a mediator m- meteor. The, uh, the Black Stone of Mecca, or Kaaba Stone, is a Muslim relic, which, according to Islamic tradition, dates back to the time of Adam and Eve. It is the eastern cornerstone. Now, listen to this very carefully. It is the eastern cornerstone of the Kaaba, the ancient sacred stone building towards which Muslims pray in the center of the Grand Mosque in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. The stone is a dark rock, polished, smoothed by the hands of millions of pilgrims that has that has been been broken into a number of fragments, cemented into a silver frame in the side of the Kaaba. The stone is roughly thirty centimeters in diameter and one point five meters above the ground. When pilgrims circle the Kaaba as part of the tawaf ritual of the Hajj, many of them tried, if possible, to stop and kiss the black stone, emulating the kiss that is received from the Islamic prophet Muhammad. If they cannot reach it, they are to, are to point to it on each of their seven circuits around the kaaba. So they circle the Kaaba seven times. The stone is broken into a number of pieces from damage which was inflicted during the Middle Ages. The pieces are held together by that silver frame that you'll see, which is fastened by silver nails to the stone. Now they have several pictures of the um, black stone. And uh, you just have to Google that and say the Blackstone pictures and you'll see what it, – it looks a little odd. And it looks more odd when you know what actually was done to the Blackstone. Now, those of you who have children, close your ears real quick. But they're used to have sexual orgies on that Blackstone. And they come along and they kiss it and bottle it. And then you look at the frame and it just is really odd. So – I just ruin your imagination, I know. <clears throat> um, the Hajj is the annual pilgrimage to Mecca, Saudi Arabia. It's currently the largest annual pilgrimage in the world and is the fifth pillar of Islam, the religious duty that must be carried out at least once in their lifetime by every able-bodied Muslim who can afford to do so. The Hajj is a demonstration of the solidarity of Muslim people and their submission to God, Allah in the Arabic language. The pilgrimage occurs from the 8th to the 12th day of the Dhu al hajjah the 12th and last month of the Islamic calendar. Because the Islamic calendar is a lunar calendar, 11 days shorter than the Gregorian calendar used in the Western world, the Gregorian date of the Hajjah's change changed from year to year. Haram is the name given to the special state in which Muslims live while on the pilgrimage. The Hajj is associated with the life of the Islamic prophet Muhammad from the 7th century, but the ritual of pilgrimage to Mecca is considered by Muslims to stretch back thousands of years to the time of Abraham. And as we've read, we, we've talked about earlier, um, he never did that. There's no archaeology, archaeological evidence that. Abraham ever went to Mecca. Now the pilgrims join up processions of hundreds of thousands of people who, simultaneously, converge on Mecca for the week of the Hajj and perform a series of rituals. Each person walks counterclockwise seven times about the Kaaba, the cube-shaped building which acts as the Muslim as the Muslim direction of prayer runs back and forth between the hills of Al Safa and Al mara Drinks from the Zam Zam well, goes to the plains of Mount Darafat to stand in vigil and throw stones in the ritual stoning of the devil. The pilgrims then shave their heads, perform a ritual animal sacrifice, and celebrate the three-day global festival of Id al-Adha. So, what are they doing? What are they worshipping? Um, trying to see where I want to go because I'm running out of time. The the um, stone, the black stone, used to be white stone until all the sinful people started touching the stone. And... Let me see. I'm trying to find where I I look in my notes about the actual, um, some Muslims are more willing to believe that the stone itself has some supernatural powers. They believe that this stone fell from the sky during the time of Adam and Eve. It's just repeating what we said, um, It has turned black because of the sins it has absorbed over the years. Now, there is also some heresy about the black stone, and I guess I want to jump to that. This is heresy, and this is what they say the black stone represents. This is what Islam says the black stone represents. Now, listen very carefully. Because to me, this is blasphemous. And if you hear in Revelation talking about the blasphemous words coming from the Antichrist, this is blasphemous. So listen to what I have to say in this very carefully. Now the Psalms contain a clear reference to the Black Stone. This is what they're saying. And this is the reference they say is regarding the black stone. Okay, you're going to have to hold your ears because this is going to be a horrible, horrible uh, comparison. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Ishmael was look, looked on as being rejected by God or so the Israelites believed. Yet it was the progeny of Ishmael that the last prophet, the headstone of the corner, was to arise. The stone which the builders refused to be, has become the headstone, is Jesus, not the black stone. While David referred to it as the stone which the builders refused, Jesus spoke of it more plainly in the parable of the husbandmen, telling the Israelites that the vineyard, which is the parable, stands for the kingdom of God. Would be taken away from them and given to another husbandman. That, by the rejected stone in the prophecy, twenty-one forty-two, was meant a re- as was meant to rejected nation is made clear by Jesus Christ that this rejected nation was none other than the Ishmaelites. Has been born out of history. That black stone therefore passes. For the Miskah, the primordial covenant between the Creator and His created, and in the whole world there is only this unhewn stone, the stone cut out of the mountains without hands, Daniel 2:45, and that is the cornerstone of the building, which is which in point of importance stands unique in the world. Do you hear what they're saying about the cornerstone? which is Jesus Christ himself and they're saying it is this black stone and it's in the corner of the Kaaba. That's blasphemous to say that the black stone is that which takes away the sins. And that's what it's saying when you you they want to touch it. They want to touch it and get put their sins upon it so that they can be free. Touching or kissing the stone has a profound impact on the faithful as it is supposed to count in their favor on Judgment Day. Judgment Day is a metaphor for the return to balance with the duality of our reality at zero point. This, they're still talking. The single most important reason for kissing the stone is that the prophet Muhammad did so. No devotional significance whatsoever is attached to the stone. Stone Kissing or touching the black stone is A reverential act of acknowledgment that God's hand directed its placement and construction. (laughs) That Abraham and Muhammad, God's blessing upon them, had touched and kissed the stone and, and, and an acknowledgment that God had entrusted the cornerstone of his religious central focus for a man upon that hallowed and sacred place. researchers have noted that the Kaaba is actually aligned on two heavenly phenomena, cycles of the moon and the rising of the Canopus. Okay, you guys who are into stars, you can email me. Well, maybe that won't help. I need to know how to say it. The brightest star after Cyrus. So, if you can say that word, (laughs) you'd be better than I. So, so not only do they blaspheme Jesus in saying that the black stone, which people had sexual orgies on, who is worshipped as an idol, who takes away the sins of all the people who touch it, that's why it's black, is the cornerstone and not Jesus And there is other there is other uh, religions and I'm not gonna go into the other D T Ts. Um I pretty much made it clear earlier about the uh the moon god in the crescent and the sim, symbol symbolicness of it. Um so I'm not even gonna go i have a piece on other world religions uh associated with the worship of the Kava in the Kavah. Now Revelation 8:10, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. Now this is an interpretation of what well, is Shabbat. I'm not sure if I actually agree with it, but I am going to throw it out there for you, so you can take it. And, and he is not, as you know, he is somebody that that I've, I've read stuff on, but um, he is not the only source in which I have used. I use a uh, number of sources, a lot of internet I, I actually go to the the um I actually go no don't I actually go to the the uh sources, the um Islamic sources themselves. <clears throat> Besides a literal star asteroid, the fallen star is synonymous with Satan and his fallen angels and that he's comparing, uh, the the black stone to this, a metaphorical interpretation would be that Satan, Morning Star angel in heaven, appears as a lamp, angel of light, and is cast down to deceive the world. Since the death of one third of the population will occur by the rise of the eighth empire, which will be the Islam, which will be Islamic, we must correlate these verses with with the scripture. The fallen star, the destroyer who is unleashed, must lead the mountain empire, causing one third of mankind to die. So he is saying well the Shabbat is actually saying that he believes Islam is going to be um one who is going to release um is gonna be part of killing one and a third of mankind. Now what they say about also about the Kaaba According to Muslim writers, the Kaaba was the first built was first built in heaven, where a model of it remains, 2,000 years before the creation of the world. Adam erected the Kaaba on earth, but it was destroyed during the flood. Abraham was instructed to rebuild it, and he was assisted by Ishmael. While looking for a stone to mark the corner of the building, Ishmael missed met the angel Gabriel who gave him the black stone, which was then whiter than milk. It was only later that it became black from the sins of those who touched it. This veneration of an asteroid would be blasphemous in Christian theology, since Jesus was the only one who took upon himself the sins of the world. In other words, the black stone is believed by Muslims to have come down from heaven and took upon itself the sins of mankind. This story is nothing new long before the Book of Acts spoke of this very issue. At last the mayor was able to quiet them down, Zinax, to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. This is in Acts nineteen thirty five. Artemis, whose image fell down from us to us from heaven, that's exactly what Islam says that the black stone was that which just came from heaven and came down to us from heaven. <clears throat> now Artemis in Ephesus was often depicted with the crescent of the moon on her forehead, and it was sometimes identified with Selene, the goddess of the moon, who the people in Ephesus, Turkey, worshipped. It is likely that Turkey's crescent symbol is a throwback to these ancient times. Could the image of the beast be a crescent moon? I'm just throwing that out there. The Antichrist as we see and we read will come down to deceive the world once more with all power and signs and line wonders just as muhammad presented the miraculous sign of the quranic revelations allegedly received from the angel gabriel so the awaited Mahdi of the islamic world will bring similar signs and wonders to, to seduce the world into condemnation How else did Muhammad know about the night vision, dawn, and morning star? How interesting are the numerous similarities among different cults, even though the cult leaders never met. When you know the truth so well, error will jump out at you. And it says that we will know scriptures say that we will know the schemes of the enemy now I someone who works with false teachings, who work with cults and has studied world religions, see a thread through every single one of these religions that that are the same. You see the author through all of them, and they all have similar things that you can identify as the author of that religion. Of course, Islam is one of those. Now, there is a question um, about the mark. You know, I throw out, you know, will the sign or the mark of the beast be a crescent? Who knows? Will it be that little thing you stick in your wrist, in the little chip or your forehead? Or are we on the wrong track altogether? Is there going to be something far more visible? Now, if you think of Hitler, Hitler was obvious about who could buy and sell. He was obviously pointing out those he wanted to uh honor and those he wanted to kill. He was he was degrading the Jews, they wore a yellow star, and the Nazis wore the band of honor on their arm, the Nazi symbol. And everyone knew them when they came. So that was their symbol. I personally do not believe that the Antichrist is gonna be sneaky about who has the mark? It's gonna be obvious. Now, I'm gonna throw it to you. Possibly if Islam could be the uh religion in which the Antichrist comes through, what would their mark be? What would they honor what do you see common in their mark? What do you see as the that which differentiates them from all other religions? Um, the Greek word charagma used for the mark is actually a badge of servitude or an uh, allegiance and servant and servanthood. Now, Strong's Hebrew lexicon defines charagma as the mark stamped on the forehead or the right hand as the badge of the followers of the Antichrist. Note that the phrase right arm is from the Greek dexios, which could also be translated right side. The Islamic shahadatan is actually a declaration of allegiance and servitude to Allah and Muhammad. The inscription of this declaration is worn by millions on the forehead or the right arm. It can be seen among Muslim demonstrators and jihadists. There is absolutely nothing in the text of Revelation 13 to suggest the followers of the Antichrist will be required to have a chip implanted on their foreheads and in their arms. And I think, personally, he's not going to be quiet about it, and he's not going to be slick about it. He is going to be obvious about it. Now, in one of the pictures I included in these set of pictures, uh, as you're listening to this show, I there is a there is two men on there that has uh, a band on their head, and it actually has the uh, symbols uh, of uh, Allah and Islam in the Quran. And in my last show, I talked about how these symbols could represent the number six 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 in Arabic instead of Greek. Also, in my the show that I had last week, I also talked about how, um, you know, the, I did a comparison of Jesus and the Mahdi, and how the Islamic Jesus is going to come with the Mahdi, and he is going to kill Christians and Jews. How ironic is that? <clears throat> Joel Richardson, is, in his book, The Islamic Antichrist, Pages 98, 99 states. Karen Armstrong, a popular and highly sympathetic writer about Islam and Muhammad, gives this account of the manner of Muhammad's initial encounter with what Islam believes believed was a, Gabriel, Jibril, the angel in the cave of Hira. Now, this is this piece is to describe how um, Muhammad was given the Quran from heaven. And Karen Armstrong is a sympathetic writer for Islam, so she has nothing that she should say that is bad about them. Muhammad was torn from his sleep in his mountain cave and felt himself overwhelmed by a devastating divine presence. Later, he explained that an experience by saying that an angel had em- enveloped him in a terrifying embrace so that it felt as though the breath was being forced from his body. The angel gave him the curt command, Arqa, recite. Muhammad protested that he could not recite. He was not a, a kahin, one of the aesthetic prophets of Arabia. But he said, but, he said, the angel simply embraced him again until just as he thought he had reached the end of his endurance, he found the divinely inspired words of a new scripture pouring forth from his mouth. So, in other words, this angel was choking him to death and telling him to recite whatever he gives him. Now, we should not be, Joe Rose, uh, uh, Richardson goes on to say, we should not be surprised to find out then that after Muhammad's terrifying and violent encounter with the spirit in the cave, he believed that demons possessed him. Muhammad became so distraught that he grew suicidal. From Gilliam Mum's translation of Ibn Ishaq's famous early biography of Muhammad Sirat Rasul, we read, So I, Muhammad, read it, and he, Gabriel, departed from me, and I awoke from my sleep, and it was as though these words were written on my heart. Now, none of God's creatures was more hateful to me than an aesthetic poet or a man possessed, I could not even look at them. I thought, woe is me, poet or possessed. Never shall a tribe of Muhammad say this to me, this of me. I will go to the top of the mountain and throw myself down, that I may kill myself and regain rest. So I went forth to do so. And then, when I was midway to the mountain, I heard a voice from heaven saying, O oh, Muhammad, thou art the apostle of God, and I am Gabriel. So, the very words of the Quran came from an angelic being who was violent with Muhammad, and Muhammad was thought he himself was possessed by demons um, until he was convinced otherwise that he was not. The beast of revelation which we read about, is it the empire of the Ottoman Empire? Uh, Is it something very unique and different than all the other empires before it? Could it be Islam? We've been discussing a lot about Islam and its characteristics Next week, I think I'm going to uh, do one more, I believe, unless God tells me otherwise, on what and who the Assyrian is. And we'll see where we can go with that. I'm presenting to you information, and I'm hoping that you will take this information and uh, study your scriptures, watch, pray, Seek the Lord for wisdom and understanding for this time and this day. I want to thank you for joining me. My name is Brenda Johnson and I am the host of As the Day Approaches, where we come together to discuss these things more and more as as his day is coming. Uh if you want to contact me, you can contact me at as the day approaches at Mediacombb.net. You can also visit me on my website where you'll find all of my radio shows and some extra pictures and and some things that still under construction. And I'm working to get all of uh, uh, everything on the site that needs to be there. Also, you can find me on Facebook. I have a fa- personal Facebook site under Brenda Johnson. I also have a false teachings identifying them group site, which I administer, administer, administrator. So I thank you for taking your time out of your day. And may may the Lord richly bless you. Good day.